All right, open please to Psalm 19. And um, we're in our <clears throat> last look at it. This is our third and last look at it. Uh, we're in the last few verses, but I'm going to read the whole psalm so that we have a context together. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and it makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a uh, missionary friend who uh, told a story to me once of, of evangelizing people in a foreign land. Uh, and these people had never even heard of Jesus, hadn't heard of Christianity, had never had a, not a clue what a cross was, and it was this, these mission, this missionary uh, tasks to go preach the gospel to these people. And uh, they lived in a remote land. They worshipped strange and, and pagan idols. And uh, where would you begin if you were given that task? I mean, if they didn't even they hadn't even heard of Jesus, they didn't even know where the Bible Belt was, and uh, you had to go to this remote land. Where would you start? You know where the missionary started? Genesis 1 1. Isn't that interesting? You know, we might, we might cook up all kinds of little plans or bring a video, uh, you know, <laughs> but uh, they started with Genesis 1 1. And uh, when they did that, uh, of course, they start with a creation account. And uh, then, of course, comes the fall of man. They uh, taught the people about uh, the law and uh, judgment for sin. They, uh, they taught the people of sin's consequences and how far-reaching its uh, effects are, its tentacles uh, in creation. Uh, they taught the people about uh, prophets, that God had sent uh, uh, his oracles through his messengers and, and that those were not received. And uh, by the time they made it through the end of the Old Testament, the people uh, to whom they were sharing the gospel were terrified. And they weren't terrified because the Old Testament is not full of grace. It is full of grace. I'll tell you, the, the God of the New Testament is the God of the Old Testament. They, he's not the God, a God who's had a radical makeover. 
Uh, in fact, I'll just, this is just, oh, wait, not in my notes, but, uh, you know, I, I love teaching the Bible. And I love teaching the Bible all over the Bible. And, uh, you know, it's different. You handle something, you handle some kind of, handle a Pauline epistle, and, and uh, it's different than handling in a, a long two-chapter uh, Old Testament narrative. But uh, I'm telling you, I love the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is dripping, dripping with this God of grace. The whole Bible is a history of God's redemption of his people for his own glory and for their own good. And it's, it's all over the Old Testament. But the people were terrified when they got to the end of the Old Testament. There's this study of it because they had been pointed in a certain direction. They had been brought, brought to a certain place. And so were they glad of heart when they heard of this great rescuer who had been sent, the Lord Jesus Christ. They felt in their souls this great desperation that comes with the Holy Spirit's conviction and they were given the good news about a rescuer who had been sent. And many came to Christ. And now that's the bringing of a soul to the, the point of conversion. And uh, I'll just direct your attention quickly just to a, a, a point of conversion that just kind of stood out uh, for me in the Gospel of Acts. You don't have to turn, but... Uh, let me just tell you, um, Paul and Silas are in prison, and uh, they're locked up. And uh, it, it, this is Acts 16. Um, <clears throat> they get locked up, and they are severely flogged. Severely flogged. Not, ooh, ick, ouch, up. But, you know, you've seen, you've seen a movie um, recently where you've seen a severe flogging. They were severely flogged. And they were put in, in prison. They, were, they, were, they had uh, stocks fastened around their feet. And uh, it, says in, it says in Acts 16, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. And I bet they were. Look at those guys. They're in horrible, horrible shape. And they are singing hymns, a very peculiar behavior. And uh, suddenly there was a violent earthquake. The foundations of the prison were shaken. Uh, the prison doors fly open. Everybody's chains come loose. The jailer wakes up. He sees the doors open. And he goes, oh, no, uh, I'm going to get killed because uh, I didn't do my job. And he's about to fall on his sword. And they go, oh, wait. Uh, we're all here. Don't harm yourself. And the jailer called for lights. He rushed in. He fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You know, he gets a, he gets a, a, a look at this, this odd behavior, these, these, these scourged, wounded people hurting, yet praising their God. And he, he, in, a, in, a, in a way, he gets a whiff of the divine and it brings him to trembling to this strange point of conversion where he says, what do I have to do to be saved? A point of conversion. You, I'm sure, remember some time in your life where you had some kind of point of conversion. You might not have a, some kind of uh, you know, pottery with the date uh, written on it with a toothpick uh, that says, I was saved on such and such a date. Uh, Uncle Bill led me to the Lord. Uh, I don't have one of those either. But surely there's some, there's some point in your life where you say, I know that some kind of transaction took place in my heart and, and a, a conversion uh, took place. Well, ladies and gentlemen, what we have before us is, is in a sense, that same kind of climactic uh, event. Uh, the, the psalmist, um, if you remember the psalmist David, he uh, is considering in the first part of the psalm here the, uh, the heavens declaring the glory of God. We talked about that two weeks ago. And in the next part of the psalm, we have uh, the glory of God being displayed in the law. In fact, the, the uh, name for God changes from the general term God to Lord, the covenantal name, the intimate term. So a general name is used for God displayed generally in creation. 
And then the personal intimate covenantal name is used in, in uh, addressing God who displays himself in the law intimately. You know, he writes his law upon the hearts of his people. All right? And, and those things, you know, the, the, uh, the psalmist, he looks up at the heavens and he sees even day or night. Uh, they're displaying God's glory. He sees the sun uh, making its way from one end of the heaven to the other end. And, and all of, all of uh, the bright things in the sky are announcing the, this glorious God who has made everything. That, that they cry out, the hand that made us is d- divine. And then in, in verse 10, uh, it, we see that uh, the, the law, the statutes, the precepts, the commands, the fear, the ordinances of the law are to this psalmist more precious than gold, more than pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, sweeter than honey from the comb. God displayed in creation. God revealed intimately to the heart in the law. And that brings the psalmist to an interesting point. In verse 12, um, he says, who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. You know, it just, this, this general knowledge of God, this intimate knowledge of God brings this psalmist uh, to a point where he says, oh, my need. Now, I'm not saying that this is, this is uh, <laughs> David's uh, conversion. I'm saying simply that, that there's, a natural, there's a natural order to the psalm. We see God displayed generally, just like you and I do. We see God displayed intimately, and it brings our hearts to a point, to a, to a strange point, a, a, a submissive point before God, where we would say, who can discern his errors? Now, I'll ask you to turn to uh, Luke, um, and that would be chapter 18. Luke 18, verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Now you need to know that a Pharisee is, of course, the most pious of the day. And a tax collector is the most hated of the day. It's not like, ooh, we hate to pay taxes, don't we, people? Amen. Uh, it's not that. It's the tax collector was the, the sellout, the Jewish sellout to Roman authority. And uh, they, they were the most loathsome, despised Jewish individual by the other Jewish people. They were the scum, the scum. So you've got a guy who's the pious man of the day, the most pious of the day. You've got a guy who's the greatest scum of the day in, the, in that culture. All right. So this is the story Jesus tells. You got these two dudes. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Now, listen, it's not bad to say, Lord, thank you that I'm not a murderer. It's not bad to say that. I thank you that I'm not like a murderer. I thank you that I'm not like an adulterer. Is that a bad thing to pray? Are you glad you're not an adulterer or murderer? Do you know that if God took his restraining hand off you, that'd be your party? <laughs> it's not bad to pray that, but you see what this guy does. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. 
you see this high-handedness to his... He's not saying, uh, Lord, I thank you that I'm not an adulterer. Of course, in his heart, <laughs> what is he thinking? But uh, he, he doesn't say, oh, Lord, thank you. I'm uh, uh, not a robber uh, uh, because of your grace. He's, he's claiming his own goodness. All right, that's the portrait. And then, of course, we see this other dude, the tax collector, stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. In fact, listen to this rendering of it. He would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven. He wasn't lifting up anything, not even, not even so much as his eyes was, it was his posture. And uh, he, he beat his breast. He said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You know, what was the spiritual posture of these guys? You've got one guy who is focused on the external. You've got another guy that's focused on the internal. And he lays claim on mercy alone by praying, Have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the posture of his heart. And David's response in Psalm 19 is not unlike that posture of the heart. Where he sees the glory of God. He sees the law of God and its utter purity and perfection and its goodness and its delight to his own soul. But it brings him to a point. It brings him to a, a spiritual posture where he says, who can discern his errors? Verse 12 of our passage. And of course, that's a rhetorical question. The answer is, nobody. And thus he goes on to pray this prayer. Forgive my hidden faults. Who can discern his errors? No one, not me. Forgive my hidden faults. Now, uh, stop for a second. Um, I just want to read you something real quick. Listen to this. You've heard this before, I know. Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. That's two of my favorite verses in the Bible. Aren't they splendid to your soul? You know, this always freaks people out when I say it. But on the one hand, I don't know why. But on the other hand, it freaked me out too. Here's what I'm going to say. In your finest hour, your finest hour, not once did you ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. You know that? I, I know that's a new thought in some people's minds where they go, wait a second. When I was in college, we had a New Year's Eve uh, church service. While everybody else was getting wasted, we were inside and we were singing Kumbaya, and it was just wonderful. Wonderful. We all did this. And I talked to some strangers, and I hugged some strangers. I mean, it was unbelievable. The, the, the presence of the Lord was there. And, uh, and uh, you're telling me at my finest hour, when I really sensed the Spirit's involvement and the Spirit's presence, that, that well, I wasn't ascribing to the Lord the glory to His name? Of course you were not, for two reasons. Reason number one is, in all of eternity, you will never, you will never complete the job. <laughs> we, will, we will spend all of eternity worshiping this infinite God who reveals himself infinitely. His perfections are infinite and over and over. Oh, you think we're going to be bored in heaven? We're not. Is there, is there tennis? I don't know. But I do know this. The infinite God will reveal himself, will be amazed and enthralled and full of worship. The infinite God will reveal himself and will be amazed and enthralled in worship and it will go on and on and on and our hearts will be glad forever. We do know this. But all that to say, ladies and gentlemen, the second, the second reason you will not, you've never ascribed the glory to do God's name is that on this side of heaven, on that side of heaven, it'll be full-blown worship. On this side of heaven, at no time are we unaffected by sin. In our, at our finest moment, there are still selfish rumblings going on in our hearts. 
in, in our finest worship, in our, in our most dedicated Bible study, in our greatest singing, there are still selfish, prideful things lurking in us. Uh, you know, I've got a, uh, I, I know a, a man who is a pastor, and uh, he says, uh, oh, I've got a pastor's heart. I have got a pastor's heart, a pastor's heart. And listen, you hear, you hear him say that, and you pretty much go, you sure do. You know, I mean, guys like that make me, guys like me go, I stink, man. I'm either too much of a Yankee or too much of a sinner or both or something. But uh, I look at that guy, I'm like, he really does have a pastor's heart. And then he quotes this verse. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I don't know whether to laugh or cry when I read that. And then it says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. That's a pastor's heart. The best pastor you ever had. And the psalmist knows this. He says, who can discern his errors? Nobody. Forgive my hidden faults. Now, ladies and gentlemen, um, when the psalmist says, forgive my hidden faults, he is not saying something like, um, uh, forgive the things I do in secret. I mean, yes, that's true. But when he says, forgive my hidden faults, he's basically saying, um, who can discern his errors? I can't. I've got embedded faults. I've got faults that run so deep that, are, that, that can't even be perceived by my fallen and finite mortal mind. Search me. And I'll, I'll say this, ladies and gentlemen. You, you want to know if that makes a difference to you. Um, it makes an immediate difference to your life. I mean, this is, this is not just some lovely poetry, uh, some Hebrew poetry. Uh, this makes a difference to our lives in this respect. You don't, you don't know what to pray for? Uh, you sit down, you're not really where, quite sure where to begin, and, it, and, it's been, you, you, the, your relationship, there's a kind of a breach in the, your relationship with the Lord, and it's been kind of a dry spell here lately, and what should you do? Um, what should you do? Pray verse 12. <laughs> it's always a great place to, to start. I cannot discern my errors, O God. I cannot discern my errors. And pray this. Forgive my hidden faults. Expose me. What did I pray at the beginning? Find us out. Search us. Discern our errors. I'll say this too. Does it matter to you relationally? I think there's a huge uh, horizontal relationship uh, application for this too. Um, In every human conflict you've ever had, in every hard decision you ever have, uh, the right thing to do is to pray verse 12. I cannot discern my errors. Forgive my hidden faults. Help me discern my errors in the situation. You know, if you want healthy human relationships. You know, I, I met a guy this morning uh, for coffee, and we just had a, a very nice uh, conversation, and we were just talking about our marriages. And, uh, you know... I got a great wife. And uh, would you say we have a great marriage? I know you would. I wouldn't say that publicly if I wouldn't. Sure. <laughs> would you say that I'm a handsome stud? Of course you would. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but uh, I was talking to this guy, and we were both just going, man, it's just, it's, it's, it's a joy that God has, has, has given uh, a, a peaceable marriage. And, and I mean, I, I'm privy to some stuff um, where I'll, I'll talk to uh, the, the guy yeah, let's, let me switch it. I'll talk to the girl, and I'm inclined to believe the girl. You know, if, if people have problems and the girl comes to me and she's like, oh, he's this and he's that, and then he did this and he slammed the cupboard door, and then I'm like, oh, really? Oh, he's an ogre. That's terrible. You know, I just, I so believe you. I'm so, Dr. Young is the same way, I think, because we know what men are like. Uh, but, uh, 
I so believe you. I'm so for you, girl, uh, lady, person. Uh, but then, you know, on Tuesday, the guy will come. And he's like, man, oh, you should see what she does. Blah, blah, blah. And by the end, I'm like, you're right, that chick is crazy. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's just amazing to me how two people who, who know and profess to love the Lord and, I, and I, in, in, in numerous situations, two people that I'm convinced know the Lord present one side here, present another side here. They both sound completely sane. The other person sounds completely nuts. And I'm just sitting there going, and I'm just a nice guy that works at your church. <laughs> you know. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you want a nice uh, horizontal application to this that, that certainly applies vertically in our relationship with God, then every time you have a conflict with your spouse or your aging parent who is driving you nuts or your child who is out of hand or someone you've scolded more, uh, more severely than you should have or your dog, you should, you should come back to verse 12 of chapter 19 of the Psalms and say, Lord, I think I am in the right in this thing. Uh, I'm wounded. Uh, I think I was wronged. Uh, but I do know this. I can't discern my errors. And somewhere lurking inside me, marbled like fat in a, in a piece of meat, is my sin. So find me out. Forgive my hidden faults. I'm telling you, if people would do that in their human relationships, and, and they would become selfless. You know, you bury yourself to God in such a way, it mends your human relationships too. And of course, the application vertically is, is, that, um, is that we have uh, nothing standing in the way with our relationship with our Heavenly Father. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I was thinking about, uh, you know, blessed are the peacemakers. You know, often uh, I think, I'm not going to trick anybody. I see the Vaughns over there going, mm, here it comes. No, I'm not going to trick anybody with my raise your hand if you know thing. But uh, we think about blessed are the peacemakers. And uh, I usually think, uh, since I'm from the north, that that means, uh, you know, let's talk about it. Let's get it on the table. You know, why mess around? Let's uh, bring it right out and let's resolve this thing, you know. Uh, but I think there's more to it. I think the peacemakers are the people who start by praying verse 12. I cannot discern my errors. It's not just coming out and saying the hard stuff. I think it started with verse 12 of Psalm 19. Well, the next order of business the psalmist uh, uh, goes to is uh, he prays in verse 13. He says, uh, keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Um, other uh, translations would render it presumptuous sins. Uh, I had another one, read another one that was uh, uh, sins of pride. Uh, and, of course, the idea is uh, sins done with a high hand. Um, I, uh, when I did singles ministry here at our church, um, there was a guy that came through, and uh, his marriage had, had blown up. And uh, she, she really, you know, you, you wonder who Zoomed who. She Zoomed him. And uh, he was hurting and aching, and it had been a year since she'd had her affair, and she left him and all that stuff. And I met him at the Chili's up there in Germantown, and he leaned across the table, and uh, he said, I'm uh, sleeping with a girl as often as I can. Uh, don't really even like her, uh, but there she is. And, uh, and I know it's wrong, and I know God frowns upon it, but I uh, deserve it. I uh, am wounded. I'm sick of this, and I'm just going to go for it. 
Now, I am not belittling his pain. Not at all. It's, it's a real pain. But, but he, is, he is doing something that is willful. It's, I, and that's an exaggerated case. We do it all the time. I know I shouldn't do such and such, but I want to do such. I mean, I do it with a refrigerator uh, all the time. I stand there with the refrigerator door open going, I'm not hungry. I just had an enormous bowl of Captain Crunch with four you know, spoons of sugar on top of that. Uh, and yet, I've got a taste for something salty. You know? and I, I, why do we do that? And I'll tell you, that's a willful sin that easily rules over uh, you know, people that go up and down with their LBs like I do. Uh, but that's a prayer to pray, ladies and gentlemen. I can't discern my, my errors. Forgive my hidden faults. Keep me from willful sins, presumptuous sins, prideful sins, things that rule over me, habitual things that rule over me. Uh, in fact, uh, he says, he says um, uh, then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. Uh, another rendering I have uh, says, keep thy servant back, which I rather like. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, you know, I'm at that refrigerator, you know, I need a restraining hand to keep me from digging in, you know. Keep thy servant back, uh, lest it rain over me. Well, that helps you, ladies and gentlemen, in two ways. We pray, uh, keep me from willful sins, may they not rule over me. Uh, the the uh, effect on your life is twofold. Let me start with number two. Uh, that would be the consequences of sin and their ripple throughout your life and, and, uh, and relationships, of course. But the number one... Uh, the number one effect is that uh, your relationship with God isn't breached. End of uh, verse 13. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. That's, that's what, the, what the Christian ought to be after. We know that our God is blameless. We know that he, uh, he does uh, not delight in transgression, but delights in righteousness. And uh, we are thankful for the blood of our Savior that makes us acceptable in His sight. And yet, along with that, we want to live lives that are full of piety. And, um, and for, the, for the main reason that our relationship with God is not broken. All right. Uh, in verse 14, the psalmist goes on to say, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Now, I'll stop there for a moment <clears throat> to say... Um, you know, we, we read that and um, many of us have memorized that in our lifetime and we, we, tend, to, we tend to just kind of, uh, even as I read it out loud, I, we tend to just kind of run right through it. We say, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. And uh, we see the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart and I think that we take them and um, we turn them into a couple different things. We think, oh, the words of my mouth, you know, that's one arena uh, thingy. And uh, then the meditation of my heart, then there's this other area, you know. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, it's no mistake that those things are put together. And the Bible closely connects the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart. You know, in Isaiah 6, when Isaiah is shown this vision, and uh, he gets a glimpse of the divine. And uh, uh, he sees that God is holy Holy, holy. What's his response? He doesn't say, I think that's fantastic. I think I will ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. He doesn't say that. He gets a glimpse of the divine and he says what? Woe is me. I am ruined or I am undone. He's saying I am spiritually, morally, completely unraveled because I've been exposed to uh, the God who is thrice holy. But you know, and the, you know the next thing he says. He says, um, I am a man. This is so interesting, isn't it? He says, I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. 
Isn't that interesting? You know, here he is exposed to this, the, the, the utter purity of God and his response is, after woe is me, he says, my lips, my lips, my lips, everybody's lips. Why does he say that? Because what will roll off your lips and the way it will roll off your lips are direct reflections of the state of your heart. It's content and manner of delivery. They expose the heart. And that's why the psalmist prays that. He says, may the words of my mouth, which, from which, uh, and the meditation of my heart, from which come the words of my mouth. May those, those intimately connected things be pleasing in your sight, O God. Uh, let the words be acceptable before thee. By the way, you can see that both of those things are in God's plain sight. May the words of my mouth, yes, God can see that. May the meditation of my heart, he can see that too. Closely connected, may they be pleasing in your sight. Things for us to consider, ladies and gentlemen. Um, um, oh, I'll save that. Um, let me bring it to a head with this. One of the knocks of the Christian world is that the church preaches nothing but punishment. You know, the, whole, the old, don't you get tired of, oh, it's all fire and brimstone in there. You know, yeah, whatever. Uh, we do have a cross on the premises, uh, which it can't be all about uh, punishment. Uh, there's got to be some good news somewhere if the Savior would die in our stead. But that's one of the knocks of uh, the, the non-Christian uh, world. And I'll say that a true biblical sermon must never leave people in despair. Uh, we must not be ashamed of uh, presenting God in His holiness and man in his dread need. We should not be ashamed of that. Uh, but the God who in his perfection uh, must judge sin perfectly is the very one who has sent a rescuer and prepared a way for the rescuer and maneuvered history that uh, the, the perfect time would come for that rescuer to be brought into it. And, and this same God would send a rescuer who is his own begotten. This same just judge that looks out at the guilty says, I can bear your misery no longer. I have got a rescuer for you. And I'll judge him who became sin for you to deliver you from your sin and uh, its consequences. And so the second response of the psalmist um, to, to the uh, self-revelation of God um, is this. He says, uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. And he says this, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, the steadfast God, the unchanging one, the safe foundation, and the one who sends his own rescuer, a redeemer, to pluck people from the, the clutches of sin. I'll close up with uh, this. Um, uh, you've probably heard this kind of thing before, and I, it's, it actually was an original thought a few years ago when they invented the Hubble, and they started uh, showing Hubble uh, pictures. Uh, I mean, I just was amazed by that. I just even like to say Hubble. And uh, they invent this Hubble thing, and they put it out in space, and uh, all of a sudden we can see, you know, in the, in the vast expanse of space, we can see way, 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 way out there, you know? So the stuff that's really, really, really teeny to us, all of a sudden we can see a little bit more of it. And then they make some more advances, and... Set a little dude out there to fly around and drive around on the surface. And all this stuff that's, that's teeny to us all of a sudden is shown uh, for what it is. And it, and, it, and it displays God's grandeur. 
You know, the farther out we can look, uh, the more we see, wow, this God really is magnificent, isn't He? Stunning. And then, here we are sitting at the uh, scientist lab desk and he's got some little germy things in there and some, there's some real, real, real teeny stuff and he, gets, he hooks his microscope up and uh, he looks at it and all of a sudden this stuff that is so minute is, is exposed to us and the, that teeny, weeny, weeny stuff shows the magnitude of God's glory. Isn't it amazing? The farther out we go, God's magnitude is shown. The, the closer up we go, God's magnitude is shown. All that to say, um, uh, it's that way spiritually as well. I think the greater uh, our scope of the utter perfection of God, the the greater the the intensity of our focus on his utter purity, the beauty of his law, uh, his grandeur displayed in creation, um, the more it hones in on the secret places in our hearts. And, uh, you know, James Montgomery Boyce, the late James Montgomery Boyce, in his, his uh, sermons on this psalm, he called the first part of the psalm, you know, God's, uh, the glory of God in nature, he called it the big book. And uh, the uh, glory of the Lord in the law, the second part of the psalm, he called it the little book. The big book and the little book. One displays God in a big way, another one displays God in a little way. Well, I, I close by stepping up to the edge of the abyss of blasphemy and uh, to say, and let me say, I'm saying this with uh, reverence and awe I'm saying this with, uh, with uh, the intimacy of God on my heart. I think there's a big book, if you want to look at it that way. There's a little book. But the smallest book of all, I think, is the Holy Spirit of God. Now, I say that with trepidation. And again, I reiterate, um, I'm talking about intimacy. God in a grand way displayed generally. God in a, in, a, in a way where His law is written on the heart of His people. And then we've got the Holy Spirit of God that brings us to a place where we say, Oh, I cannot discern my errors. I need you, God. I need you in my human relationships. I need you in my relationship with you. I need you to exist in this world. I need you to be at peace in this hard place. It's the Spirit, ladies and gentlemen, who spun the universe into existence. It's the Spirit, ladies and gentlemen, who, who wrote the book that is sitting in your lap. And it's the Spirit, ladies and gentlemen, who would say to your souls again and again, who can detect his own failings? Wash out my hidden faults. And from pride, preserve your servant. Never let it dominate me. So shall I be above reproach, free from grave sin. May the words of my mouth Always find favor and the whispering of my heart in your presence, Yahweh, my rock, my redeemer. We do come to you, O gracious God, and uh, we remember afresh that you are our rock, you are our redeemer. We bless you for that beautiful truth and for that great reality. We look forward to the day when we will be on the other side of, of, uh, of heaven where we will forever and ever and ever fall down. Until then, we pray that you would, we would uh, worship you well now and uh, that we would have a good uh, uh, bare 
relationship with you. Search us, O God. We can't discern our own error. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.